0: In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 19. In the aftermath of a bitter civil war, the once mighty kingdom of Israel is wounded by division. King David, haunted by the rebellion of his own son Absalom and mourning now his son's death, he faces the daunting task of restoring order and reclaiming the throne. Alliances are tested and old wounds resurface as David seeks to reconcile with those who remain loyal And forgive those who betrayed him good morning and blessed Pentecost today is Thursday July 6th and you're listening to thy strong word where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith I'm your host pastor Phil boo of st. John Lutheran Church in Laverne Minnesota thy strong word is made possible in part by a generous gift from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation LHF translates, publishes, and distributes Lutheran books and materials that are Bible-based and Christ-centered and Reformation-driven. Whether it's a catechism, a hymnal, a Bible storybook, or devotional, LHF provides these resources free of charge to pastors, missionaries, and lay people who need them. To learn more about LHF and how you can partner with them in this vital mission work, visit their website at lhfmissions.org. That's lhfmissions.org. Well, please join me this morning in welcoming my guest to help us discern and divide and explore 2 Samuel chapter 19, 9 through 43. It's the Reverend Lucas Witt. He's the pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland. Good morning, Pastor Witt, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning. Glad to be with you. So you are in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what ministry life is like up there in in Baltimore at your congregation and how God's working through you and the saints there.
1: Sure. Um, I am in a rather unique position here where I am uh, actually an assistant pastor um, at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Baltimore. Uh, So I was called here, I was actually here uh, partially as a vicar and shared around Baltimore, but um, they called me back to basically say, we want to turn our vicarage into uh, a missionary initiative um, and really focus on an opportunity uh, outside the walls of God's church building here of Emmanuel um, and into the city. Uh, and so that's really um, my role here is um, with the saints on Sundays a lot and preaching and doing things like that. But uh, I, I kind of focus on the ones who, who do not darken the doors of the church, or at least not yet. Um, so I spend my time uh, uh, walking through Bible studies with people who I have met on the street um, or elsewhere or walked up to the church doors, and uh, we walk through Scripture much like we are doing today, uh, and you do on Thy Strong Word. Uh, We have a a GED lab where we help those who haven't gotten their diploma uh, to get their diploma, and then, you know, honestly, the whole hope um, on part of that journey is to have conversations about uh, who Jesus is and, and where he's going. Uh, I teach some classes at Concordia Preparatory School the north of the city, um, again with lots of students who uh, who don't know who Jesus is all that well. Um, so we get a little summer break right now, but uh, I, I basically try and um, get into those conversations of who is uh, who is God, who is Jesus, what matters about life, and what has he done for you Um, in the city of Baltimore that uh, I love being in and love doing this so uh, so that's where most of my time goes to um, day in and day out as far as ministry goes
0: well I think that sounds great sounds like you're doing a lot of interesting and important work for the kingdom I'm glad that you've taken some time to join us this morning though as we dig into 2nd Samuel Uh, before we dive into the text though would you start our time together off in prayer
1: yeah absolutely let us pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us to hear your word and learn more about who you are and what you have for our lives. Uh, Lord, it is very clear as we walk with uh, David and others in his kingdom that they are in the same world uh, that we are in right now. uh, That is broken and difficult and full of human decisions where um, we are thankful that you have forgiveness and grace for us, uh, despite what we do correct and incorrect, Lord. Uh, We ask that you open our hearts and our minds and our ears uh, that we may hear what you'd have us to hear, to understand what you'd have us to understand, and to speak what you'd have us to speak, Lord. We pray this through the merit and honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, brother, for those who might have missed the past episode or two, you know, before we read where we are at today, which is going to be about David returning to Jerusalem. Maybe catch the people up just a little bit. Like, why is David not in Jerusalem? What what's going on with Absalom? I, just let people know where we've been so we can, you know, see where we're going.
1: Sure. I think uh, I was reminded to maybe jump back even further than I would have expected uh, through this because this um, was a, a really a prophecy of Nathan that was going to happen um, with uh, when David and Bathsheba that episode. Um, And through this timing, uh, you have Absalom uh, racially raising a rebellion. He's sitting outside of the gate and uh, basically saying, if I were king, I would do certain things. You know, political moves there. um, And basically gets the momentum to to, uh, overthrow his father uh, as king and is accepted by, um, well, I I guess you'd say the majority of the people. So Absalom uh, was in, David was out and on the run, and... um, there was lots going on there, but basically, we just got past the point where um, a short little battle and Absalom was, uh, was killed uh, by David's general, Joab. And, uh, and now the question is, uh, well, who's going to be king now? Um, David was here and he got ousted and, and Absalom was the man and now he's dead. So um, the people are wondering, uh, so, so now what? Um, and that's kind of where we are heading into today.
0: Well, excellent. So, yeah, now what is the question at hand? Let's read,
1: and we're just going to read,
0: oh, I would say the first 15 verses. Let's see how that goes. Um, I'll actually be starting with verse 9, which is our text for today, Um Really, the chapter begins with Joab rebuking David. We talked about that yesterday. Oh, yes. uh, but now Israel has fled every man to his own home. They're all in, all in a disarray. And so now we start with verse 9. And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Say to the elders of Judah, Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house, when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh, Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of my army from now on in the place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man so that they sent word to the king, Return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to meet king be the king, and bring the king over the Jordan. All right, pausing there at the end of verse 15. So, yeah, David fled because of Absalom. They put Absalom in charge. Absalom's dead. David mourns the death of Absalom, his enemy. That makes Joab really mad. But now we have him still out there. The people say, well, we want you back now. We want you back. And David's making some good political moves here. Uh,
1: Take us through this. What exactly is going on? Yeah. So like you said, yesterday you went through, David was basically weeping in his corner and uh, Joab said, Hey, wake up. You know, why, why are you caring more about your dead rebellious son than, than us? Um, you know, you had people who, who died for you and fought for you. Um, and so you need to go reconcile with them. So I didn't quite go that far, but now, yeah, it's interesting. You have Israel, um, you know, the, the majority of the, the tribes, um, who are basically looking to, uh, to reconcile with him as well and you see that's how it starts off is um, the ones who approach David uh, first off is is Israel right and the people of the ten tribes um, who basically say you know we we need to be having David come back and be be our king uh, so this gives David some um, some momentum and, and insight and and gumption to really send uh, the priests Zadok and Abiathar. Uh, to to Judah, you know, who again are, are his people, right? <laughs> um, also the people of of Absalom, and uh, I think they, you know, they're the ones who maybe started the revolt more than anybody else. But um, uh, but he he has them go out to his people and basically say, hey, you know, um, why don't you call? Why haven't you called back the rightful king? Right? I am your bone and flesh. I love your people. Right? The tribe of Benjamin uh, and Judah. Um, And so he's basically making his his political pitch again to say, I'm, you know, I'm the rightful king. um, And so, you know, I'm ready to come back. Why don't you bring me back? And then uh, he makes a special pitch to uh, Amasa, um, who actually, again, maybe a smart political move here, was the general of Absalom's uh, army. So he was actually a rebel against him as well and basically says you are going to be the one uh, in charge of my army it's not going to be joab who if i'm not sure i'm pretty sure is the one who killed my son even though i told him not to um but uh, you come back and and be part of this movement and and you will be my general um, is my oath to you uh and so david gets that momentum um the People of Judah rally around him, it says, as one man, um, tell him to return, and he comes back uh, over uh, uh, the same place, or at least a place near, uh, the same place that Joshua came over um, when, when crossing into the Promised Land, right there by Gilgal. So whether that's another <laughs> political move or a, uh, a, a providence uh, message from the scripture writers and from God, um, of of authority coming in, but uh, this is kind of the the overview of what happened uh, in those verses. They're up to verse fifteen for how David went from being uh, being in his own corner to to crossing over the Jordan um, and back back headed towards Jerusalem as the king of of uh, of the of the United Kingdom again.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because David is a pretty savvy guy, and he's making these. Sort of political alliances we we know that the northern and the southern I guess tribes at this point um, will eventually be the northern and the southern kingdoms when the kingdom is divided but the, they've had some animosity between each other I mean since the time of the judges and so David always seems to be trying to win over um, win over support keep the kingdom unified but it seems like him giving this this uh, I don't know this command over all the armies to Amasa, who's a pretty important guy for Judah. I, I think that kind of ends up backfiring for him. He really is—he really is acting very hastily. I mean, even though he's a savvy guy and this works because he sways the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, as you said. Um, you know, you know, sometimes you have to be—you have to be careful. You have to think about the long game, and I don't know that he is. But it's—it's it's an interesting situation on the ground because David. Um, is the is the rightful king. It's I think the audience, as we read through these uh, accounts, were kind of surprised that Absalom actually became king because I thought God's favor was on David. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe again people have gone through the thinking back of, uh, well, we've had a king go down before, you know, with, uh, with Saul, and so David was next. That seems like a bit of a stretch to me. I'd say um, there isn't much reason to say you know, God is not with David, right? Uh, right. It's a reminder of just how how fickle I guess we are as people. <laughs> um, uh, you know that sometimes we're always looking for uh, the next great thing. You know, Absalom had some great words, and I guess you know I'm I'm very good at kind of imagining how things could always be better. Um, <laughs> you know, in in this world and with with people and myself, and so. You Know what can I say? This, uh, amidst the there's no thus saith the Lord, um, right. in this chapter here, right? This this isn't one of those areas where, um, you're gonna find in the book of Concord and uh, moments like that of, of looking up doctrines. This is a lot of the uh, the narrative of there's a lot of, of questioning and and struggle and just people doing what what people do. Um, uh, but yeah, to say, um, how we got to this point is right. Is always well Um, great to reflect on uh, great to reflect on in our own lives as well
0: well and yesterday we talked a little bit about how you know joab is chastising the king for and you brought it up too you know hey listen these people died for you and here you are mourning for our enemy which of course is also his son and there's a lot of christological imagery in that passage it's great but here, though, we see that um, it's kind of the same thing. David is, is in a way, in his attempts to unify the kingdom, which works temporarily, um, is kind of insulting people because Amasa was the general of, of, uh, of Absalom's army, right? That, I mean, Absalom appointed him over the army because Joab was with David, and now he's basically saying, to unify us, I'm going to take our enemy general and make him now in charge in the place of Joab. But he appeals by this language, and this really stands out to me, my bones, or my bone and my flesh, or my flesh and my bone. Um, To me, that takes me back to Genesis. Now, I realize this is just a way of talking about their tribal relationship, or even their blood relationship, their kinsmanship. But isn't that just a, a fascinating phrase that really takes us back to the beginning?
1: Right. No, my mind definitely went there as well. I thought, where have I heard this phrase before? You know, um, right. and Genesis came up very quickly. Um, honestly, n- none others did or do right now. But um, yeah, to, to make a huge parallel would be, I think, a stretch. But to say um, the, the familial connection there, right? And just to say how close we ought to be um, of that, that biological connection there um, is, is a case in point that he's, he's making there. Um, yeah, I, the, uh, you know, in going to Amasa, I guess this is the, you know, when you have two sides coming together and it's a good reminder, I think, uh, for all of us that, you know, we, we don't have this, this tribal background, I guess the closest we have is states, right? Sometimes we can say like, oh, this state and this state and this state, they're different. And we try them to get, come together unified. Um, and so there's still an allegiance to a tribe first before, um, a united nation, uh, I would say most of the time in scripture. Um, but you have this move of, you know, when you have a guy who, you know, in our context wins an election, right? Um, there, you can either say, hey, you're doing it my way. Um, you know, it's time for us to come together. And and by, by the way, the way to do that is the way I'm going to do it, you know, or you could extend, uh, you know, and maybe even as you kind of, I think, insinuated, uh, overextend the olive branch and maybe say, oh, well, there's these guys, they were enemies, but, you know, if we bring them in, um, then, then, you know, the other side, uh, will be happy too. um, and in that process, like I said, he may be, you know, alienating some of his own people who are saying, wait a minute, you know, why are you bringing in ones who are enemies? So, um, I think it's one of those moments I think of, you know, like, uh, um, you know, people who make the bold predictions about sports, you know, mm-hmm. or coaches, and then, you know, they do something bold and if it goes great, you know, then they're a genius, right? <laughs> right. And somebody right. say, I saw that coming. What a genius move. Let me write about why it all came together. Uh, you know, like, oh, everybody loved Amasa coming in. They got along, you know, um, right with his uh, his brother or cousin Joab there. Right. <laughs> you know, or it goes wrong and, and they're saying, oh, of course this didn't work, right? Like, what a horrible idea um, bringing your enemy so close, so...
0: But, you know, and, and, and for what it's worth, you know, I don't actually think he was overextending. I think some of his men might have thought he was, though, right? Because you can imagine. But we talked about connections. Well, first of all, you brought up, you know, our electoral system. I've always thought that you shouldn't have running mates and, the, and, and these opposing parties that run against each other. Whoever wins, the, 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 the losing side should become the vice president. Right. So now you have an executive branch where both sides are represented. That's just my little thought. If anybody wants to make an amendment to the Constitution out there, you can go ahead <laughs> and do that. Um, but uh, at the same time, though, you know, we think about um, I, I mean, I think he's doing something very wise. Don't get me wrong, but I definitely think that, that his own people might get a little offended. But what's the connection for us today? Well, it's pretty far along the way at this point. But growing up down south, I can't help but think of the Civil War or as we like to call it, the War of Northern Aggression. And the idea that, that, you know, you had brothers fighting against brothers, right? So that's what's going on here. It's a civil war. It's, it's not the Philistines. It's not the Canaanites. It's fellow Israelites, fellow uh, kinsmen, fellow tribesmen. And I, I think that's, that's also what is the, I, 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 the missing part for us when we understand this is that they, they don't hate each other. But th- they're they're having to fight each other, and it's such a it's such a just a terrible situation. But I think the closest for us would be the Civil War, our Civil War.
1: Yeah, I I definitely had ideas of that in my head too. And um, thank you for correcting. <laughs> uh, I, I I thought you were not a fan of what he did, so um, that's why it's great to have these discussions. Cause, <laughs> like, okay. yeah, no, I just think it could look bad. And and your point was actually the
0: I think maybe even my point in terms of sports, right? Like he makes this. He makes his Hail Mary play, and if it goes well, it's fantastic. If it's not, they're all going to blame him right, for bringing yeah. it. And, and we kind of know, because we know the Bible, that it's, it's actually going to backfire a little bit. But we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, yeah. let, let's start with verse 16, read a little bit more. And Shammai, the son of Gera the Benjaminite from Bahurim, hurried, down to come, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Bidjaman. And Zebad, the servant of the house of Saul, with his fifteen sons and his twenty servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shammai, the son of Gera fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan, and said to the king, let not my lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered, Shall not Shemai be put to death for this, because he cursed Yahweh's anointed? But David said, "What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should this day be an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For I, for do I not know that I am king this day over Israel? And the king said to Shemai, uh, "You shall not die." And the king gave him his oath and we're going to pause right there at the end of verse 23. And uh, you know this this stands out to me for a couple reasons but first of all you know we see now that he is back in his throne um, you know here we have representatives from the northern tribes at least this one right coming down and they want to be the first to say um, oh you know what don't it's just business right don't don't, don't hold it against me I I'm not saying they're not truly repentant but at the same time uh, this is a good idea for them to try to get on the good side of the king now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think that's that's rather clear, right? When you um, when you lose the battle, you definitely want to uh, make amends so that things don't go wrong for you. Or you, know, in this context, when the king what the king says goes. Why he could be coming for your wife. Uh, so savvy moves here to try and um, you know mend that divide uh, and say, oh. Well, again, we'll, we'll go back to the you know, analogies we have of, you know, elections and, and such in our country, right? Usually there's the same kind of thing that happens. You know, we were using this rhetoric and, you know, but we all understand that, um, you know, this is how the, the game is played. And so, you know, the election's done. And so we got to put those aside because the only way to do it is to do it together. So what do you say, David, we're with you. We're doing this together. Um, let's let's let that aside. And I think this is part of a uh, another reason that the the, the episode with uh, Bathsheba and, and Nathan hangs in my mind because, um, you know, this is this is sadly from from David. But I also can't help but thinking David knows what it means to have done a great wrong and be forgiven, far beyond um, what they deserve. And here you have Shimei, a man who basically cursed him, and threw dust at him, literally. I think, <laughs> right. um, you know, and you have more of this of, of David. Um, I think being being savvy and saying you know let's get past this and um, you know and be be people who work together um, rather than being tit for tat, uh, but also being able to say one who has been forgiven by by God himself um, that he also knows what it's like to to be in the wrong and be forgiven. So that can't help uh, but ring in my mind as we go through um, the rest of these accounts of of uh, what David's doing here. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, he, this
0: guy, Zeba, who's the, I guess, Saul's, the servant of Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. Yeah, just trying to get that out there. So, you know, he's rushing down there to kind of get there before Mephibosheth does. I mean, Mephibosheth arrives in the very next verse after what we read. Um, but it seems like he's trying to get down there. He had some earlier lies about Mephibosheth back in chapter 16. It seems like maybe he was attempting to cover those up. I don't know. But, um, but what I think is interesting too is that we have Abishai here, who's David's nephew, um, and once again, and this is not the first time, you know, he's quick to say, okay, David, well, we need to punish these guys. We need to kill these guys. We need to execute these guys. Um, and David calls him, Uh, the son of Zariah, right? Which is a a common thing that the sons of Zariah is a common, I guess, derogatory name that David has given um, these particular people because they seem to be so so bloodthirsty all the time. But at the same time, hasn't David set a precedent? You know, I mean, doesn't he kind of have a point? He says, you know, he killed, he executed the guy who beheaded Saul or who claimed he beheaded Saul. And now here we have, someone who's uh killed his his son and and he's the and so Abishai is saying, "Hey, shall not he be put to death for this?" And then David gets all mad at him. So, I think that's kind of a interesting uh, connection there.
1: Yeah, I think it cut on me a little bit there. So, I lost uh <laughs> I lost some of the flow you had there. Oh, sorry about that. Well, just uh talking about um this whole
0: idea here that a Bishai is the son of Zariah, but that term sons of Zariah really refers to their bloodthirstiness, And David has already executed people for, um, you know, doing something to the Lord's anointed, that guy who claimed that he had beheaded Saul. Um, mm. so, so, you know, it seems like it's a, a reasonable request, but David isn't. He, instead he seems to want to show forgiveness. And this is a, a character trait of David that we see it's always in contrast to King Saul where he is exercising mercy and forgiveness but also meets out justice when necessary and I think all of that points us of course to the fact that he's a type of Christ
1: yeah um I'm trying to think of a distinction there where um you know the, the man who who killed the Lord's anointed before was a rather I guess maybe I could call it a contained event um, maybe here David is uh, you know, this is much more of a the nation is watching uh, type scenario there. So you're, you're right. That's it's a good um, you know what what an insight to say. Hey, you've acted this way before, David, when um, doing something with the Lord's anointed. But uh, I again, in the spirit of what uh, David is trying to do, and um, holding and bringing the nation together again and the tribes together, um, I think again here is he's showing it's it's not the time and i think it shows up mo- even more with uh with mishibbeth and um it's right that he just says you know we're not going to go into bean counting and tit for tat right now um i just i just want to to move on and move together and um right or wrong that's that seems to be where he's going but uh yeah but you definitely like you said have that theme of um david as the type of christ who is you know there's, there's no punishment being doled out uh, right here, if I have it correctly. Um, it's really, uh, let's move forward from, from what has happened and, and look, move together forward um, in the spirit of, of one blood and flesh or flesh and blood.
0: Well, I think you're right because, you know, spoiler alert, uh, he does get justice. In fact, verse 23 here says, And the king said to Shammai, You shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. But if you read 1 Kings, um, David does allow uh, Shammai to live until uh, David, with his very dying words, orders his son Solomon to kill him. So, you know, he will get, he will get justice, but in his own timing, not in the timing that these bloodthirsty sons of Zariah want. But I tell you what, folks, we're just going to think about all that as we take our break. Don't go anywhere. When Pastor Witt and I return, we're going to keep on going through Second Samuel chapter 19. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Lucas Witt, assistant pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland. Folks, you can always catch Thy Strong Word on the radio in St. Louis on AM850. But if that uh, signal doesn't quite reach you, you can also well subscribe to the program on your favorite podcasting app. Or you can download the KFEO Radio mobile app, available on iOS and Android. You can also listen live or on demand at KFUO.org. Remember, if you want to share your thoughts or your questions, I'm happy to hear from you. You can email me at PastorBoo at gmail.com or find me on Facebook. All right, Pastor wit before the break, we were just getting into the second part where David's mercy is really starting to show through. Um, but not just mercy, but uh, as you insinuated or, or actually said, it's it's a it's a tactical advantage right now's not the time to be meeting out punishments and and causing turmoil in fact um during the break i was just thinking could you not imagine how divisive that would be if he were to put you know Shammai to death and all this other sort of thing so david is playing the long game here um because well you know he he has a kingdom to reunite
1: yeah that seems to be clearly his number 1 motivation here and what can I say? I won't be the commentator to say, oh look (laughs) I would have done it in that same exact way. Oh Um, right, right.
0: Well oftentimes when I'll see these things I go, oh man, that's not what I would have done. (laughs) But but David um certainly has the Lord with him um at least in this situation for sure. Well let's uh let's start with twenty four and keep on reading. Here we go. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame." He has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. All right, stopping right there at the end of 30. So Mephibosheth, right, he's that lingering grandson, lingering remnant of the house of Saul that, that David keeps his covenant to Saul and Jonathan by bringing him into his household um, but David has got a point here, right? He says, Mephibosheth, what's up, right? I've been so good to you. Why did you, why did you not go with me? And well, it turns out, uh, he was deceived, right? Which maybe is why the other guys rush so fast to be the first to meet King David.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll admit I'm a, I'm a Meshiva fan. He kind of reminds me of like tiny Tim or at least I'm <laughs> sure. a little bit. Uh, so, so I'm biased in how it comes out here, but. Um, so Mephibosheth, uh, definitely, Yahweh have- bless us, each one of us. Our- <laughs> I'm just thinking of a tiny Tim and- <laughs>
0: back in the in the Hebrew days. Sorry, that's go ahead.
1: Great. Yeah, that's great. Um, but yeah, David has a question of if you were following me, Mephibosheth, you know, where, where are you at? And I, I couldn't help but think, well, he's not the most mobile guy, but um, you know, he has a donkey, right. so okay, you know, uh, hop on that donkey and come along, right? So um, and here's where you get the, you know, the cue the Paul Harvey uh, rest of the story, um, if that uh, if that's still around even. Um, but it says, oh, well, Lord, my king, uh, you know, I was going to be there. That was my plan. In fact, I had uh, told him to saddle up the donkey and we were going to go and bring provisions along. Um, but, you know, Zeba my servant, he basically took off without me, you know, started the car, uh, and I saw him drive away, you know, and... Um, From before, we know that Ziba basically showed up and uh, gave provisions, Um, so it it seems to me that Ziba had uh, uh, some of his uh, own standing in mind when doing this, although I can't think of that working out in the long run here. You talk about the long game. Um, But Mephibosheth strikes me as always being one who is fully dedicated to David. He has... um, what he, it says here is that he's the son of Saul, but like you mentioned, you know, son is, son goes further than one generation in scripture, or it, it can, I should say, right? So he was the grandson of Saul, the son of um, Jonathan, and, you know, we know how close Jonathan and David were, you know, they were as close as friends can be, right? As far as um, caring for one another and doing anything for one another uh, in their brotherly love. So um, so Mephibosheth seems to have that same, that same loyalty and I think uh, the hint of how he just looks so unkempt, um, which I, I've always meant to look deeper into this, but but the bottom line, when your beard is unkempt and your feet aren't taken care of, and you know you look like a scraggly mess, it's you know to me, um, you know it's like a sackcloth and ashes type language, right? And I look, David, I have been mourning, I have been struggling, I have um, you know ever since you left, I have just been. Down and out uh, about it. And, you know, is anybody happier than me that you're back? <laughs> um,
0: well, you know what? And I think what's interesting about the description of how he's mourned, right? Because you can't fake it. You can't fake unkempt feet and non trimmed beard or, I mean, I there's no could, beard extensions to put on. Right. I mean, you could probably fake the dirty clothes. But the point is, you know, I think this is proof, not that he's. Not he, not that he planned it that way, but I think David would look at this and go, obviously he's been in mourning. These are these are ways that people will show their mourning. We might we might even call it depression, right? We think about people who suffer from depression and they just it's they they don't do anything. And um, so we, we see here that yeah he was in mourning and he's got the he's got the 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 bodily ways to show it. Uh, yeah, and you can't fake those things. And again, you know, now now having a little bit more context, I think about Zeba, who was the deceiver, uh, rushing to go see David first. And um, isn't that kind of the case? When I used to do, uh, when I used to work in private security and other things, and I worked for a, a special police firm for a while, and it, it was whenever you would interact with people who, uh, uh, say, had a fight or whatever, um, they would rush to be the first to press charges because they wanted to be the complainant. They wanted to be the first ones because it always seems like the person who's countercharging is just, uh, is just doing it as retaliatory. And, and that's what I see here. He's like, if I can get in good with the king, this is Zeba, then when, when Mephibosheth shows up, then maybe he won't believe him because look at how honorable I was and bowing prostrate to the ground and all this other kind of stuff. Um yeah so I I it also reminds me of that old adage. Um and I think they told us this at the seminary. Uh you know uh, beware of those who meet you at the train station, right? The people who are super eager to get on your side and don't even know you. Sometimes they have ulterior motives, not always of course folks, but sometimes that's true and and uh, I think that's certainly what we see going on here with Zeba and Mephibosheth.
1: Yeah, I'm s- you know caricature there there's two types of kids you know when some, when they do something wrong right there's the kind that that runs into the closet and hides um until you have to go find them you know and then there's the kind who who uh, races up to you first before you know in our <laughs> household true. you know the, the older brother who who suddenly runs up before his sister who's crying right to um, say what happened. <laughs> so yes, yes. So he can I mean, get his story
0: in there first. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Or, or if
1: nothing else, you know, give the, uh, you know, the, the preeminent apology of I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but <laughs> um, you know, it, it's really, it's really done and over, you know, clearly. So yeah, I, I, what, uh, what Zeba thought might've happened, um, you know, so he got that upper hand that still kind of escapes me of him. A good idea there of just maybe David would take his word, but. Uh, you know, I don't know that, that, that tiny, tiny Tim power of Mephibosheth, I don't, I don't think David, right. well. <laughs> overlook right. right. that, you know, Jonathan and everything, but, um, uh, you know, but again, as, as Mephibosheth tries to, boy, I love that name, but it's hard to say, um, you know, as, as he, uh, tells this story, um, you know, he, he says like, I don't even need, <laughs> you know, I don't even, uh you know, I don't, I don't uh, owe anything, or I should say I don't deserve anything, um, right? What further right do I have than, than to cry to the king? If you, if you say, you know, that uh, I should have been there, then um, I'm not going to say, well, um, you know, here, here's my rights, or here's what I should have, but, um, but rather when, when David has his judgment of, um, you know, let's just split between the two of you, um, you know, he just kind of lets it sit and it almost seems like David has his decision. Um, seems like he has it premeditated, I guess. Uh, if I could dig into the here a little bit, you know, he just says, right. well, let's just split it between the two of you. And again, in this spirit of like, I'm not, you know, we're, we're not, uh, we're not working too hard in the, uh, condemning area today. i I shut that office down, uh, they're on vacation. So right now we're just going to say, you know, split it between the two of you and, um, And Mephibosheth, again, (laughs) this is maybe the one moment where I said, oh, maybe, you know, the guilty one sometimes says, okay, that's good enough, right? Um, Okay, I'll take that, but...
0: uh, Well, but but you bring up a really good point that it hadn't occurred to me until you brought it up, and that is that, yes, Mephibosheth has come. We assume that David's going to take Mephibosheth's word, and so you would expect, the reader or the hearer would expect that David's going to punish Ziba. For his deception early on of Mephibosheth, and kind of his crocodile tears—I or maybe they were genuine—but but just you know, kind of rushing there before Mephibosheth to get to the king, it seems just a little shady. But instead, as you pointed out, he uh, he pulls a King Solomon, doesn't he? Right? You know, <laughs> maybe maybe he passed down a little bit uh, of wisdom down to his son. But you know, he he says, "Okay, I'm just going to split the land between the two of you." But what I love and why Mephibosheth is a certainly a great character to admire is that he says, and, and you already brought this up, but he says, my lord, is, the king, is like the angel of God. Now, this isn't Malak Yahweh. This is Malak Elohim. Um, so this isn't the angel of the Lord like we talk about pre-incarnate Christ. But, but still, this is like the angel of God. Well, it harkens back to David being called that a couple of times, but in particular in Second Samuel, um, you know, it says the word of my Lord, the king will set me at rest for my Lord. The king is like the angel of God to discern good and evil. Yahweh, your God be with you. So when we come back here, that's what he's saying. He's basically saying you're the anointed one. So you like the angel of God, like, you know, have the ability to make the right decision. And I'm going to submit to whatever you decide. I think that uh, I think that humbleness or humility maybe is a better word it is is a good thing to for us to emulate when we come before the lord right to say to say you know yes i know that i'm forgiven in christ and i certainly cling to that and my faith hope and trust is built upon that but at the end of the day i'm just grateful to have an audience with the lord <laughs> and and that's what we see here
1: yeah and this is a reminder of the the fourth commandment right even that word um Uh, Moloch can be, um, you know, messenger, right? And how um, David, you know, again, in some contexts, you know, can be like like an angel, you know, that we think of like, uh, you know, the warriors of of God's kingdom. But, you know, in some sense, messenger is also just somebody who, well, a a simple messenger of, you know, what God has in store. And so the fourth commandment reminds us that, um, you know, God sets up governments to, um, to share his his will and govern over his people and we are you know again in most situations to to respect um, respect that when it's according to his will or maybe I should say not contrary to his word is maybe the easier thing to distinguish uh, but you kind of have that same thing here of you know this is um, this is what my leadership says uh, and you know as far as you can tell it's it's the just, the just work of, of what God would have, you know, a leader do. So um, anyway, fourth commandment kind of yeah. popped in my head there. It's it's really connection to, like you said, what we are called to do today. Um, yeah, I think and, and, and this
0: comes up time and again with David too, especially when King Saul was still around, as he continued to honor the Lord's anointed, even though the Lord's anointed was literally trying to kill him. You know, we get this time and again, this idea that, we are to respect the, what God has put in place, and Mephibosheth does that. He understands that even though I have a good excuse, my excuse doesn't necessarily forgive all my sins, and I expect punishment, and, and he expects one thing and gets another, which is certainly, um, certainly the way the Lord works so often. Well, let's keep on going, starting with verse 31. Now Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim, And he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, eighty years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mehanim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, Come over with me, and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How many years have I left to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return, um, pardon me, uh, that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant Kimham, let him go over with my lord the king and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered Kimham shall go over with me and I will do for him whatever seems good to you and all that you desire of me I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over. And the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own home. And the king went on to Gilgal, and Kimham went on with him, and the people of Judah, and also half the people of Israel, brought the king on his way. All right, pausing there at forty. I tell you, brother, you know our next after we finish up with Second Samuel, I'm moving into Acts, and I'm going to feel a little relief with the uh with the names. <laughs> <laughs> I always get tripped up on the Hebrew names. I apologize, folks. I do practice them before I go, but it just escapes my head. Anyway. Well, I always
1: say just say it boldly. And uh, since in Hebrew we're all saying it wrong anyway when they read it, that's right. That's I always like, the oh, advice. well. I I'm always going to question you and say, "Oh, I should have jumped up there and said that instead."
0: <laughs> yeah. The problem is, I'll say it six different ways boldly. But anyway. Uh. <laughs> Well, all right. So verse 31, we have Barzillai, the Gileadite, who's come down from Rogalim, or Rogalim.
1: Um, Who's this guy? (laughs) What's going on? Oh, so I didn't go too much and look back on this guy. Let's see. Um, You met him in chapter uh, 17, but when David was was on the run before, um, and it mentions, well, you get the little flashback there in verse 32, right? He's a older man, eight years old, and he provided provisions for the king when he was uh, running on the run from Absalom and uh, found some refuge in Mahanaim. Um, And so uh, this is the king really coming back and saying, you know, here's a special reward for you, basically what you have done for me. You you provided me uh, provisions and refuge when I needed it. Um, And so David thought, what better reward than to come back and live with the king and (laughs) Barzilla, <laughs> I just can't think of want to say Godzilla when I say it. Um, <laughs> it does have that Godzilla look. To oh, yeah, I'm yes. saying, you know, like I'm Japanese or something. Barzilla is coming. Bar-Zillai. <laughs> um But ba- basically, turns him down. Uh, and, and again, we have a mobile culture and say, like, yeah, let's go live, you know, in the king's protection and provisions. And this sounds great. But Barzilla basically says, what, you know, I'm I'm too old for that. Like I need to be back, you know, where I grew up and with my family and buried here. So, you know, thank you, your majesty, but but no thank you. I'll send my my servant instead and just treat him like you treat me. Um you know, and that's that's my wish, your king, uh your majesty, you know, the king. So um so I think that's what's what's going on here. Yeah. Is well, what there. a
0: score for Kim Ham though, right? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, now I'm scared he's going to be a brat. You know, he suddenly just gets all this uh, special treatment and, well, I don't know.
0: Right. Well, I think there might be some, uh, some scholars have suggested that this servant could even be his son, maybe. You know, which I think might make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's my son, or perhaps he's, he's both, right? I mean, you know, this is possible in that time. Um, but in any case, yeah, he goes and he says, yeah, whatever you would do for me, do for this, um, this man. And so we see the honor. I think it's worth noting, though, that in 2023, um, 80 years old isn't as old as is described here, right? I mean, I, I think it's worth noting that um, a lot of people today live well into their 90s in very um, healthy ways. But 80 years old would have been pretty significant for the time period, wouldn't you say?
1: yeah i don't uh i don't have the average age in my head for this time period at the moment that's for sure but um at this point i think of them of us usually outliving them at this point so 80s the he's reached the yoda age i think
0: absolutely
1: absolutely
0: so uh well let's uh, finish up the chapter with 41. then all the men of israel came to the king and said to the king Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? And all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, we have 10 shares in the king. And in David also, we have more than you. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Wow, what a, what a kind of <laughs> what a, what a anticlimactic but also kind of depressing way to end this chapter. But that, that is
1: how it ends. They're They're fighting. Yeah, David's actions have not brought uh, peace and prosperity to the, the galaxy have they at the moment um, And you know, the last uh, verse 40 there you know, gives this little little hint of all the people of Judah and half the people of Israel brought the king on his way. so you don't have this this complete meeting between I think it's hinting at but um, again you can <laughs> as I stand between the two sides I can say, hey, you know well he's got a point. And he's got a point, right? Like, hey, Israel's the one who went to go grab King David in the first place. And yeah. Judah says, hey, he's Jesus from us. So we're going to treat him like our family, right? Bone and flesh type talk. So um, so they each kind of have this, uh, like, well, here's here's our claim. And I'd say, well, they each got a point. But um, the bottom line here is you do not have peace and prosperity, uh, at least between the people right here. There's For all David has done, um, there is definitely plenty of hard feelings, uh, that are, that are there connected to the king and, um, you know, the ending where there, you know, but the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. You know, I'm not necessarily sure it's saying, um, you know, from a Hebrew mindset that, you know, they are the ones who are meaner or something like that, no. but it definitely says, um, you know, there, there's lots of tension here and, and the struggle is not uh, not over for them or David or anybody. Um, maybe not to the point it was before, but you know we're not we're not reaching quite the golden age of Solomon where everybody seems to be happy quite yet either.
0: Yeah, and I think that the the language there a fiercer. Um, and I say I think, but based on what I've read, I should say it really is is based on the idea that um, I guess they just like they shut the other ones up. You know, they they were a little bit more convincing. Not that the argument's over by far, but it's kind of like, okay, well, that that silenced their critics. But the problem is, what then happens next um, is really a continuation of the events. The chapter may end, but the chapters aren't inspired. The the, the text continues, um, and I'm just going to read into it a little bit. Now, there happened to be there a worthless man whose name was Sheba, the son of Beatrice Bickery, a Benjaminite, and he blew the trumpet and said... Now, I'm not going to tell you what he said, because we're going to talk about that next time, but basically, as they're arguing, some guy grabs a trumpet and blasts it and says, hey, everybody, listen to me. Um, and Well, what happens next is it basically starts a battle, but we're going to get to that next time. We've come to the end of our time together, but uh, I do want to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Lucas Witt. He's the assistant pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland. Pastor Witt, thanks for being on the show. I hope to have you back soon.
1: What a joy to bring David back today. Thank you.
0: Thank you, brother. Uh, Tomorrow, folks, when we come back, we actually have another special free text First Friday. So we'll be stepping aside from our regularly scheduled programming, and we're going to be talking with the Reverend David Benning. Pastor Benning and I will be discussing Matthew 18 and all things Christian reconciliation, so don't miss it. But we'll pick back up with this narrative on uh, 2 Samuel 20 on Monday. And then following that heated exchange that we just heard, Sheba will lead the Israelites in a rebellion against David. But the rebellion will be quelled by a wise woman who presents Joab with Sheba's severed head. Oh, well, that's interesting. We'll check out what that means. Uh, We'll do that on Monday. Folks, until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.